Almost 2,000 years ago, a man was brutally, unjustly put to death. His last words as he departed from this world were these, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. That, of course, was Stephen, the first Christian martyr. Some 150 years or so later, uh, there was a very aged man, at least 86 years old, may have been older, who was required by the Roman governor of his time to acknowledge that Caesar, the emperor, was a god. Uh, And this he refused to do. These were his words. Eighty and six years have I served Christ, and he has done me no wrong. How can I then blaspheme my king who has saved me? So they burned him to death. In the 17th century, there were two ladies in Scotland called Margaret. Margaret Wilson is 18 years old. Margaret McLaughlin was 70. The authorities uh, required them to sign an oath or to acknowledge an oath that the head of the church was none other than the earthly king. This they refused to do for them. Uh, It was Jesus Christ who alone is the head of the church. So they tied them to stakes in the mouth of the river at low tide and they had to watch as the water slowly rose. As an added refinement to cruelty, they tied the older lady, Margaret McLaughlin, in front of the younger woman so that she had to watch her companion drown in the rising waters before those same waters took her life. And then a number of years ago, I read a story that stuck in the back of my mind, but I couldn't remember where I'd read it. (laughs) And I asked one or two folk uh, if they could point me to uh, the book where I'd read this story. Nobody could do that. And then, lo and behold, a few weeks ago, I discovered it on my own shelves, (laughs) which just goes to confirm what Wendy is always saying to me. You've got too many books and you don't know what you've got anyway. But there it was. And it's the story of a young woman called Sarah. Sarah was a bright Christian young woman. She was studying medicine at Liverpool University. But uh, one day she developed a, a fairly minor sore throat. And within a, two, in a few hours, she had two major heart attacks, either of which could have taken her life. Uh, and within a week or two, they had to amputate both of her legs a young woman with a brilliant career ahead of her and she's lost her legs. What is her response to that crisis? She said this, one day I'll have a new set of legs, the best ever. There are people who faced crises uh, to the extreme and you're bound to ask yourself the question, Uh, How can people hold up under such trials and pressure? How can they? And of course, you know the answer. I hardly need to put the question to you. You know the answer. You will say immediately, it was 
their faith. Of course it was, of course it was. Stephen is recorded as a man full of faith. Polycarp, the Bishop of Smyrna, might well remember that years before a letter had been read out in his church which said, amongst other things, be faithful unto death. As far as the two Margaret's were concerned, their commitment to their Lord and Saviour was such that they could not bear to think of his glory being given to another and they paid the ultimate price. And Sarah said, no matter what happens, it's only a matter of time. And of course, it is faith that enabled them to be sustained in those circumstances. There is no other possible explanation. And in this uh, first chapter of Peter's first letter, of course, he writes a lot about faith. You will have noticed that. He he, he tells us, for example, that faith uh, ensures and protects our inheritance. You get that there, don't you, in verse 4, to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. He tells us this faith, of which he writes, is a precious faith, precious to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a faith that even though it's tested, may be seen and found to the praise, honour, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He says this same faith is the guarantee of your salvation, receiving the end of your faith, the outcome of your faith, the consequence of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Uh, And in verse 13, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, And rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Your faith is that which is the ground, the substance of any hope that you might have for uh, the future. So he talks a great deal about faith. But he does say also that faith is tested. So... In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you've been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honour and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Faith is tested. Peter, of course, is preparing Uh, the Christians to whom he writes for hard times that are coming upon them. It's generally recognized that he's writing to people who were living in the times of Emperor Nero, uh, who had such a hostility to Christians that he uh, was guilty of the most appalling atrocities against Christian men and women. Uh, He uh, lit up the pathway to his palace on one occasion with human torches, Christians, set on fire for his entertainment. He consigned many believers to a cruel death 
in the arenas torn apart by wild animals. That is what these people were facing, a severe test of their faith. Uh, And you have to try and, I suppose, put yourselves in the shoes of such people in the first century. In any moment, uh, Nero's soldiers might bang on your door and drag you away to that sort of fate. How would you stand up under that sort of pressure? Uh, and, And Peter is preparing these people for that. There is going to be a testing time. This faith, which is so crucially valuable because it ensures your inheritance in heaven and it brings about ultimately your salvation, this faith is going to be severely tested. Uh, And that is why he writes to them. So, uh, the answer to our question Uh, How is it that people like Stephen and Polycarp, the two Margarets and Sarah, can hold up in those extreme circumstances? Well, it's plain and clear. It is because of their faith. But I think there's a further question that might be raised at this point, and it's just this. What sort of faith is it? that can withstand such testing as that. These are extreme examples, of course, but they're one of, they're amongst thousands upon thousands who've had that sort of test throughout history. Uh, And the testimony of the Lord's people under such extremities is that this faith, this crucial thing we call faith, has been that which has sustained them, enabled them to stand firm under such extreme pressure. So what sort of faith is it? Is something I think we need to concern ourselves with because faith is a very common word, isn't it, in our vocabulary. It's part of our jargon, faith. We often use the word faith. But what exactly are we talking about? Well, it's, a, it's a, a, a word with broad meanings in the scripture. Sometimes, of course, it means the body of doctrine that has been delivered to us, the faith once delivered to you. In other words, it's saying that this faith, this belief, these beliefs can be set out in propositional form, in black and white. It's not something vague and nebulous. It's something real, and it can be set out in a series of statements. The faith once delivered to you the body of doctrine that we have uh, given to us in the word of God and which is expounded to us by the Lord's people. And sometimes that is what faith means. But I, I question whether, for example, Polycarp facing the fires that are going to burn him to death is really going to be sustained by being able to recite something like the Apostles' Creed. I think the faith that enables him to endure that has got to be something more than just that knowledge of the truth. And I would say that's the same for all those examples that I've quoted to you and amongst the many, many millions of others that could be, could be testified to. It's 
got to be something more than just knowing and understanding the truths of the word of God, isn't it? If you're going to sustain such pressure as that. So we need to just think about this whole question, what we mean by faith, and we need to be careful in our definitions because it's easy to be confused. It's a familiar word, and we use it in all sorts of circumstances. But what sort of faith is this? Sometimes, you know, you hear people talk about their faith. Sometimes people have said to me, or you will have heard people say in your hearing, they've been through some particular crisis in life, and they say, my faith got me through it. Well, I don't want to question that necessarily, but I'm always, I'm always tempted to say, but faith in what? And, and sometimes if you put that question, then what will emerge is some sort of, well, it's a sort of feeling in there. You can't really define it, you can't articulate it. It's just sort of in there. In other words, the faith they're talking about is just faith in faith, some mysterious element that can't be defined. I'm not certain that's going to uphold Margaret's way of seeing the waters coming towards them, some sort of feeling in there that they can't put into words. Others will talk about faith as if it's some sort of gamble. You step into the dark, you don't know what you're doing, you don't know why you're doing it, but you just do it. That is not a faith that's going to uphold you under times of extreme pressure, is it? Some sort of leap into the dark. And, 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 and I, think sometimes, <laughs> I think sometimes we preachers are guilty of maybe leaving a wrong impression sometimes as we try and illustrate what we would want you to understand by faith, by believing in the Lord Jesus. We try and find words, we try and find illustrations to demonstrate what this faith might be. Here's a very familiar one. I think I got this from a little book by Gresham Machen called What is Faith? <laughs> Which is the title of the sermon anyway. But he he tells the story of a small boy on a boat, on a ship. Uh, And his father is the captain. But the ship passes through a a, a tremendous storm. And all the sailors on board are terrified for their lives. They all think they're going to perish in the raging waves. And this little boy sleeps quite calmly through the whole thing. And when the storm calms down and they say to him, how is it you were able to sleep? He said, well, my dad is the captain. Well, it is faith. There's no question about that. It is faith. Uh, and his dad might be a very fine sea captain, but even his dad can't control the winds and the waves. Faith it is, but it's a misplaced faith, isn't it? And, and sometimes I think the way in which we try and explain what we're talking about is that sort of faith. And, 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 and so uh, the, the temptation then is to leave the impression that this faith we're talking about is sort of a packet of something, a chunk of something or other, uh, and, and depending on the quantity of that chunk, 
will depend whether you're going to be able to withstand extreme pressure. Sometimes we seem to think it is rather like that. Uh, And so that is put in faith. In faith there's some mysterious quality. And the more you've got of it, the better able you are to withstand extreme pressure. And I just think that's a, a, a very dangerous thing. Because th- there have been those who have actually peddled an idea of what faith is along those sort of lines. That the more you've got of it, the more likely you are to enjoy this, that, or the other blessing. You're, 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 you're desperately sick. You want to be healed. Well, if it doesn't work, because you haven't, haven't got enough faith. You need more faith. And, and that sort of idea is very common. And it's very common in our days, sadly, isn't it? In other words, the whole notion is that here's this thing called faith. It's a packet of something. And the more you've got of it then the more able you're going to be. Either enjoy richer blessings from God or able to stand under, stand up under great pressure. So really this faith then, if you put it in those sorts of terms, depends on how much you've got of it. And if you haven't got very much, you're, you're going to crumple. And therefore you need more of it. Now, I'm going to be careful here because uh, I think the scripture teaches quite plainly that weak faith should always long to become strong faith, should not be content with weakness of faith, can't make that an excuse, a justification. But the, the notion that the more you've got of it, if you can somehow attain it, is going to enable you to get through these sorts of circumstances, I think is a misnomer altogether. Let, let's just return let's just return to the illustration uh, of the little boy on the ship uh, who has such confidence in his dad that he can sleep through a storm. It's a misplaced confidence. It's because his dad can't control the winds and they but say say by some supernatural means his father was able to control the winds and the waves then that faith is a real faith isn't it now you know where I'm going don't you you see the faith that survives such extreme circumstances the faith that holds up under testing The faith that means anything is not dependent on how much you've got of it. It's dependent on the one in whom that faith is placed. And that is really what Peter is saying. He's preparing these people for a time of great testing, uh, far beyond anything that's happened to any of us. And please, God in his mercy might not happen to us, for who can tell what the future holds. But 
We don't expect that, do we? You don't expect to be dragged out and be torn apart by wild animals or set on fire as a human. You don't expect that. But trials and testings come, don't they? Uh, And how are we going to be sustained under any sort of pressure? Because faith is going to be tested. It's in the nature of living in a fallen world. It's inevitable. And Peter, who prepares these people for it, also prepares us for it. And he does so by constantly, repeatedly pointing to Jesus Christ. It's the one in whom the faith is reposed that is all important. But like I say, it doesn't mean to say that we can just rest in a weak faith. Should be stronger. You should want it to be strong. You can ask for it to be strengthened. That's, that's a legitimate prayer. But the crucial point is not how much of it you've got, but the one in whom that faith is placed. And so here throughout this letter, time and time again, the Apostle Peter will turn these Christians facing this situation to the Lord Jesus Christ. You will have noticed it. You can't avoid it time and time again. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Put your eyes on him. So the genuineness of your faith being tested, this is the issue, the testing of your faith. It's being tested in order to prove its genuineness, but it might be found for what purpose? To the praise, honour and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And what were the prophets doing? And what are the apostles doing? Preaching. They're preaching about the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. And therefore, rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ, who indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, the Lamb, precious blood of Christ, of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who through him, believing God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in, in Jesus Christ. So, the crucial thing to understand about this sort of faith is that it rests completely and utterly upon the one in whom it is placed. I grew up in a Christian home, for which now I thank God. I didn't always appreciate it at the time. But I can honestly say to you tonight, I don't think there's ever been a time in my life when I did not believe in Jesus. I don't think there ever was. I never doubted his existence. That's what I was told at home. That's what I was told in Sunday school. That's what I heard time and time again from the pulpit. That's what I read in the Bible about this Jesus Christ. I always have believed in him as a person, yet I knew full well 
as a 14-year-old torn apart by all sorts of conflicting emotions and questions and problems and, and burdened under a sense of guilt and sin, I knew that this believing in Jesus Christ as a person is not going to be any answer to the longings of my heart. It wasn't until one day, humbled by my bedside, I said, Lord, I don't know anything any longer. (laughs) But I know I can't live without you. And then I knew what it was to really believe in Jesus Christ. I've been asked the question, I think any servant of God will be asked this question from time to time, how do I get saved, what have I got to do, what do you say to them? You say believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Of course you do, because that's what the gospel is. That's, that's, that, that is that is the answer, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. But I ask, the, what is this believing? What exactly is this believing? And and, and so if I'm asked the question, as I have been many times, I will always then try and just explain what the word believing really means. Because the crucial thing is, isn't it, is this, is this Jesus Christ that I'm asking you to believe in for faith, for salvation, is he actually able to do what he says? That's vital, isn't it? And if he is able, is he trustworthy? Can he be trusted to keep his promise? So I think faith, believing, needs to be qualified by the words trust and confidence. If it is to mean anything, because it's all got to be focused on him, unless he can do it, unless he's willing to do it, you may... You may have all the faith in the world, but it's not going to achieve anything unless he can do it, unless he will do it. But that is the whole point, isn't it? (laughs) That is the whole point. He is able. He is the Son of God. All power has been delivered to him. Do you think he can't save your poor soul? Of course he can. Do you think he is willing to do that? Well, how else can you look upon him and think about him and read about him? And then through the centuries of Christian history, the testimony of countless millions, and doubt for one moment, here is a Jesus Christ who is willing from the bottom of his heart to save any sinner who comes to him. And that is believing faith. That is saving faith. But it's all focused in him. And that is the important thing. Faith is certainly tested. It will be tested. These are extreme examples that I've quoted to you. But it's in the nature of life, isn't it, in a fallen world. And there are trials and tribulations. We're always under pressure. There will be misfortunes that will fall upon you. Illness will come from time to time, sometimes very severe illness. They have to come to terms with loss and bereavement from time to time. We have to face hostility of those around us. Yes, faith is always going to be tested. 
And there is a purpose to it. And if you can see the purpose to it, then that is surely a great help, isn't it, to endure it. And there is a purpose to it. And, and, and Peter tells us what the purpose is. He says it's so that your faith might be tested, whether it's genuine. So it's worth it from that perspective. But it's not just that. It's not just that. It is so that it might be found to the praise, honor, and glory of the revelation of Jesus Christ. He is central here. He is absolutely central. He's at the heart of it all. That is where real joy is to be found, joy that can't really be defined in words, joy inexpressible and full of glory. But he's central here. Uh, And faith in anything else or anybody else or even in faith itself is not going to uphold you when the pressure comes on. And it's certainly not going to get you to glory. It's got to be faith in him. It's got to be that confidence that he is able to do it and that trust that he is willing to do it. It's got to be that, hasn't it? And so in our lesser trials and tribulations, let's face it, they are, they are pretty, pretty ordinary compared with those examples that I quoted to you, but they're real uh, and, and they're hard to cope with, aren't they, in those lesser trials. Let this be the way in which you'll view what is happening to you this this perennial question why is this happening this is happening so your faith may be tested to see whether it's genuine but primarily and above all things for the honor and the glory of jesus christ because it's him it's him and one day you will see you will see what it is all about one day One day you'll see him as Stephen saw him. Even in his last moments, I see heaven opened and there he is, the Son of Man, standing. Standing? Why, he sits at the right hand of God. Why is he standing? What possible reason for that could there be other than this? Stephen is coming home. Coming home to glory. And the Lord Jesus stands there to receive and to welcome the coming sinner. One day you will see him if your faith and trust and confidence is in him. And Polycarp and the Margaret and Sarah. Sarah will get her legs because her faith was in Jesus Christ. And in the meantime, and particularly in the testing times, the disturbing times that we all pass through, can I just commend to you Jesus this evening. Just commend him to you again because that's really all I need to do. And it's all I need to do because everything rests on him. And it's all you need to do. Just trust him. Just trust him.
Amen.